0: This What's Trending Conversation is brought to you by Henley Business Radio.
1: So welcome to this hashtag What's Trending Conversation here at hashtag Henley Business Radio. My name is John Foster Pedley, Dean of Henley Business School, Africa. And it's with great pleasure we take this innovative and brave step forward into digital broadcasting with an equally innovative and brave guest, Joseph Gerassi, Executive Head of Red Hill School. Welcome, Joseph, and it's great to be with you again so soon. In fact, you were here a few days ago at a great event we had with Stafford Macy, John Flismus, and you at a Future Leaders event talking about the future of education, and it was a tremendous contribution you made, so thank mm. you very much. I hope we can pick up on some of that today.
0: Sure. My pleasure. It's a real honor to be on this radio station.
1: Yeah, it's going to be legendary, this, isn't it? It's I look forward out. to it. I look forward to it. So perhaps you would introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about sure. your life story to hear and what got you to Red Hill.
0: So, I started off my career actually wanting to be in theatre. That's really what I wanted to do, although I always, I always enjoyed education, right, from when I was at school mm. and ultimately went into coaching swimming. So there was always this need to be a teacher. But as most parents, you know, would advise you, please don't go onto the stage until you've got a degree behind you. So I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll leave that and I'll go into education. Mm. Went into education, and by mistake, got a job at King David Victory Park. I wasn't really looking for one. There was a part-time post going. I had just come back from overseas. I thought, well, I'd do it for three months, and basically ended up there for 20 years.
1: So that was a mistake um, that gave you a 20-year career? Pretty
0: much so, yeah. I did that. Um, really enjoyed my time there. Learned a lot. Um, after about 10 years, at a far too younger age, was made principal. I was about 31.
1: And what were you teaching? What were your uh, history. History.
0: Yeah, history was my subject. I became principal, had a wonderful time there for 10 years, and then I was asked to go to a school overseas in Australia. Mm-hmm. And it really was there that I, I really started to connect with international education and where international trends were taking education. And it really woke me up to the fact that in South Africa, to a large extent, we've, we were very good at managing schools. I had become a very good manager of a school. But I'm not sure just what type of educator I was. And I think there's a big difference between managing a school and being an educator. And did you find that difference in Australia that people were focus on
1: education per se rather than managing it what what, what did that feel like
0: Mm. well well, at at first it was a little bit strange for me i mean for instance the school that i was at they had a program which i've now brought to red hill where teachers at various times during the day within their own timetable went off to study went off to learn and they had facilitators you know people in the school whose only job it was was to continue working with teachers in modern pedagogy. In fact, explaining to teachers, taking them back, many of whom had not been to university for, the, for 20 years. And it was kind of taking them back into how does the mind work and how do we learn? And at first I remember being quite taken back by this and saying, but who's teaching the kids if the teachers are all out at these study groups? And the answer was, well, that's what they do. The students understand when they have a sub that their teachers learning. And in fact, when we, when we finally built an incredible library, in the center of the library, we had an area that was glassed, And that's where we had the teachers learning so that the kids, when they were in the library, could see their teachers learning. So it became part of the culture of what was happening in So Australia. they were
1: modeling learning. They were able to see the teachers doing what they were doing.
0: Absolutely. And it-
1: Presumably gave the kids a sense of responsibility about their own learning and a sense of freedom. Absolutely.
0: I was very, very lucky to work in a – I ran the pre-primary, the prep, and Mm. and the high school. But I learned most from the pre-primary school in terms of how children really just enjoy learning. What is it that gets them to school that they can't wait to get to school? And the the question I started to ask myself was how is it that when you get to the high school – Children are just not that engaged. They're rather looking for when do we get a day off school as compared to pre-primary school kids who get really upset if you tell them they don't have a day. You know, if they have a day off school, they get
1: upset. So how is that? I mean, what happens between this enthusiastic young five, six, seven-year-old and the the jaded 16, 17-year-old who's lurching through school to get to university and making sure he gets fantastic grades?
0: Look, I think we were all born to learn. Hmm. I think it's, it's innate. We want to learn new things. We want to explore new things. We want to discover new things. And when you get into pre-primary school, pre-primary schools are set up in a way where there is a lot of collaboration. If you walk into pre-primary school, you'll find that children are clustered around tables. They have playgrounds just outside of the classroom that are filled with sandpits and water. And there are so many things that grab the attention of a young child. And to a large extent, while there is formalized learning, a lot of the learning takes part during play. Mm-hmm. Children go out and they play and they discover and they rediscover and they reflect on their learning. What we then find is when they get into grade one, all of a sudden, that changing environment in most schools, which are traditional, changes. All of a sudden, children are in a uniform, yeah. which in itself starts to restrict them because we're actually saying you're now part of something that everybody else is part of. You you stop becoming an individual. Now, I'm not saying that, that uniforms are wrong. I'm just saying if you take the comparison to where children are free to wear what they want, mm-hmm. they run around without shoes, mm-hmm. they run in the mud, it, take that change to more formalized uniform, which already tells us you're going into a more formalized environment. Children generally line up outside of a classroom. Mm -hmm. They go in. All of a sudden, they're not sitting at clusters. They're sitting behind desks one-on-one. And all of a sudden, the teacher becomes the more formalized teacher who starts to instruct children in terms of what to do and almost becomes the person that you have to look up to for the knowledge the teacher now becomes this knowledge provider, and we sort of slowly as we move through the system, and, and Sir Ken Robinson talks about this mm-hmm. really, really well, I mean far better than I could, but we start to slowly take away the creativity of the child by not allowing them the flexibility of thinking out of the box. We stop asking questions and we start giving answers
1: you had a fantastic slide in your presentation this week where you showed a classroom and an industrial production line Mm. and they were exactly the same a discipline and systematically following everything and making sure that they were sort of industrialized in their learning Mm. so what happens to somebody's a child's mind or anybody's mind when they start going into these sort of industrial environments
0: well it starts to cut it cut off the thinking patterns. So we stop asking questions. Now, the best way of learning is to be able to ask questions. If you're going to be inquisitive, you need to be able to ask questions. Mm-hmm. If you want to find answers, you're asking the questions. If you're in an environment that cuts those questions off and just gives you answers and starts to move you towards a situation where your success is the, the, the mark that you get on a paper – which generally is about how well you can regurgitate the information that has been given to you, then how do you measure your success? Your success is not measured by thinking outside of the box or coming up with an answer that's not in the textbook. Mm -hmm. Your success is then measured on how well can I study for this particular test?
1: Which is very important for many parents, isn't it? Because they want their kids to become doctors, lawyers, accountants,
0: and get the exams.
1: But, but we'll come on to this in a minute. That's sure. not necessarily the future of work at
0: all, is it? Absolutely. So if we go back to mm. the Industrial Revolution mm. and how schools were set up then, mm. and as I said at my, you know, when I was talking, John Dewey, who uh, yeah. you know, was an educationalist and philosopher born in 1850, he himself at the time was saying you have got to prepare children for the environment they're going to go into. Now in the Industrial Revolution it made absolute sense The environment you were going into was an environment that was set up where you were not to ask questions There was a process, there was a production line You had a particular job, you would put a particular part of a machine together And you would do that same work all the time Nobody asked you to think outside of the box Nobody asked you to come up with the next invention That was not part of what you had to do So it made very good sense to have students learning in a production line type of way you know better than I do that the world of work is completely different today. That world of work today actually looks at bringing in people who can think outside of the box. And Google, for instance, is, is a wonderful example of that. You know, uh, At Google, they don't ask you for your results. They ask you for portfolios of work. They want to see whether you can come up with the next new invention. But if children are not taught how to do that, they're never going to be able to come up with those kind of things. And if we're educating in a world that unlike the world of John Dewey where society did not change, we could prepare children for the next 100 years. Mm. We knew what was going to happen over the next 20, 30 years. And today, now? today, Today we don't know what's going to happen in the next three years. Right. In terms of technology. Now, often we talk about technology and we say, well, technology shouldn't become the all in education. It's not the all. Technology in schools is a tool with which to work with students. The issue about technology is out in the real world, technology is changing things so fast because it can, that we cannot prepare our students for the normal kind of jobs that we were thinking about five, ten years ago.
1: So this production line sort of approach to education and this focus on marks and this, this narrowing of the intellect actually prepares people for an industrial world where things are stable. But the world our kids are going into, and we actually live in is, is varied and open and wild and imaginative. It requires other faculties of mind. I may mean, I often wonder how much of a person is welcome at work so how much of me is welcome at work? Do you want the sort of sterilized, small, controllable bit, or do you want the imaginative piece that, that builds new business models and, mm-hmm. and new ideas? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in your schooling and, and where you educate now, it sounds to me like you want a lot of the pupil at work, a lot of, you want a lot of that person present because you want
0: to stimulate those high-level capabilities. Is that how it works with you? Absolutely. So, now. I mean, we, we, we've already started to look at our prep school. So how do we move from pre-primary school and how do we allow those children to be innovative? And as I, I was talking to you earlier before we went on air, it, it's about how do we get the children's dispositions mm. to become dispositions of creativity. So what do you mean by
1: disposition? Just to so, clarify that.
0: So a disposition is, is something that it, it, it's not a skill. You can't learn it. In order for me to love learning or for, for me to be someone who is inquisitive, let's take mm. that one, one plus one doesn't equal being inquisitive. Inquisitive becomes part of who I am. So my disposition for inquiry Mm. is taught to me by allowing me to be in a situation where I am allowed to become an inquirer. And then that becomes part of who I am. So
1: inquiry is important, isn't it? Because I imagine because you're not facing things, your problems that you've seen before. You're now facing new problems all the time. So if you're not curious and ask questions about a problem, you're going to apply your own prior concepts onto that. And you're just going to be prejudiced in your approach. So inquiry allows you to be creative. Is that what you're saying?
0: Very much so. So for for, for schools to say we are schooling children, and I use that word schooling Mm. because in many respects we're not educating, we're schooling. We're teaching them how to do a particular thing. We're schooling them in how to get a distinction at the end of a metric. Really what we're testing is how well can you take a test? Now, the person that comes into my office, if I'm working in a particular place that's looking to change the way we think – I'm really not worried about how, how well they take a test. Mm. I'm, I, I could be taking in someone who, in test conditions, and we see it over and over again. Students who hand in portfolio work do amazing work. They could be right up there getting 90%, Get into an exam situation, and the mark plummets. Why? They're not good at taking tests. Mm. It's not where their strengths lie. But those kind of people just fall by the wayside because we, we don't attribute the same kind of success to the student who has a good portfolio piece as opposed to the student so, that can get so how, into an exam. How,
1: how important uh, as a life skill is being good at taking tests compared with being good at producing portfolios?
0: Right. So, so I would say that it's far more important to yeah. be able to produce a good portfolio, to be able to go into a job interview mm. and to say, this is the work that I've created. This is the work that I've done. Me giving you an exam result that says I got seven distinctions really for me tells me that you can take tests well. And depending on the type of business, but I would imagine most businesses out there, I'm not asking any of my employees to take a test or to learn anything off by heart.
1: But they're all doing projects and portfolio work, aren't they?
0: So let's take an example, let's take mathematics, all right? Many teachers like to test their kids once a week on the mathematics. Hmm. In other words, you go and you learn a concept, we test you on it. The first thing that I ask when I look at that is, you're so busy moving from test to test to test, to move from concept to concept to concept, so if I, as a student, get 50% in that test and we now mm-hmm. move on, how do I ever rectify that issue? How do I ever look at what I got, reflect on it, and have the ability to rethink about what I was doing? Because we're off on to the next one because we've got to write a test next week. And we've got to finish that amount of work so that we can write that test. To a large extent, our curriculum now, although I understand why we move back to a, a CAPS curriculum that tells us where we should be on Monday and where we should be on Tuesday – the point is what happens if half the children are not there by Monday or by Tuesday? You just end up leaving them further behind mm. because the teacher is told by Friday you've got to get to a particular area. And because teachers generally are scared of the ramifications of what might happen if they don't complete the curriculum, they just drive that curriculum. So we are driven by the assessments. We are driven by the testing and we're not driven by the learning.
1: So that's really interesting to me. You mentioned about anxiety. And teachers being scared about not completing the curriculum, I wonder often how much anxiety drives our anxiety about our children's success in tests or not getting a good job, drives our children to go down a very narrow path, whereas the world they're entering is much broader, varied, complex and fast moving. So you're trying to prepare people for that world, is that right? Absolutely absolutely but i interrupted your your story earlier you got to australia and this sounds (laughs) fascinating you got to australia and you were learning new things what happened then
0: so so in terms of australia there were a lot of things that i that i learned in terms of of thinking schools how people think we dealt with with concepts like a culture of thinking Mm. and there was it got me to start to think about how one should be educating i then came back to south africa and decided that I would, give, I would give myself some time, and I went into the corporate world, still in the education mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. but within corporate, so into a head office where I was given the opportunity to work with teachers, to train them and to work with them on the things that I had learned in Australia, which was really, really interesting. It it was very enjoyable for me. One of the interesting things there that really taught me about, you know, learning for a test and being good at a particular thing was I was tasked at one stage to roll out uh, technology into 19 different schools. Mm. And I came across this only because I was sitting at a board meeting. I heard about this. And the first thing that came to my mind, and that shows you, you know, I'm, I'm very good at project managing. know I enjoy that I know nothing about technology but the project manager in me said where's the plan for this and I asked the manager who was there the brand manager of a particular school and I said but do you have a plan for this and he said to me no do you know how to do this and I thought well what have I got to lose and I said yeah no sure this this is not a problem and what was really interesting in terms of knowing nothing about technology I went on a voyage of learning I got together a team of people that knew far more about technology than I did and then just put the strategies together. And within a year, we had rolled out technology into 19 schools, which included the infrastructure, the training, the support of teachers. It was, it was incredible to see what could happen when people from different areas can collaborate together. Do but you had a skill set there, didn't you? You talked about being able to project
1: manage. Yeah. I mean, I remember Tom Peters, old management guru, always used to talk about this, the A students who become the – the doctors and lawyers and accountants. It's the B students who become the directors, and the C students own the companies. Which is I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's an interesting approach. But there's something about learning the skills, not to be a technical specialist, but being able to bring together, manage and progress a group of people towards an outcome. Absolutely. That seems very, very important. I know it's important at work. It's important here. True. And it sounds to me like you're doing that with the children too. Is that right?
0: It's about teaching children that there is a place for all of them, depending on their skill set. So one of the things that we've done at Red Hill is we've embarked upon a process of project-based learning. Now, overseas, this is not something new. Um, and I always say to my parents when I talk to them, that whatever we introduce into the school is not something that I, as the head, has dreamt up one day. Right. Right? We look at what is going on in the world in terms of research. And if you look at the schools that are at the top of the international PISA lists, which, mm. which really look at creativity and critical thinking, you'll find that the Nordic countries are way ahead. And what do they do there? Well, they have shorter hours of school. Their children start school later. They have almost no testing whatsoever. But they spend a lot of their time on getting their children to think creative. But creative.
1: that first bit sounds like an absolute nightmare for most parents. You know, shorter hours, no homework, starting school later, reading sure. later, no sure. testing. My child has to be a total failure in life.
0: Without any problem it's so, so, gonna be a So loss. in our in our in our prep school we've done away with homework and we're even working at the moment at doing away with prize giving. So let's deal with the homework issue first. Mm. Okay. And there I'd is- like
1: to know how the parents react to that too. Absolutely. And Red Hill is getting a tremendous reputation at the moment. I know it's an old school, right. but it really is getting a reputation under your leadership as being the creative place, the place for progressive education
0: and thoughtful education. So yeah. I think that's important. So if we take the takeaway doing away the homework, the research shows 100% that there is no correlation with academic results and homework, especially in the prep school. Absolutely none whatsoever. Now, parents straight away get really, really worried. Why do they get worried? Because you've got to remember that every single parent has had 15 years of learning how to become a teacher. They were at school for 15 years. You go to the doctor, none of us had training to be a doctor. None of us had training to be a lawyer. None of us had training to be an engineer. But we all spent 15 years in a classroom. So we all come with... Ideas on how teaching should take place and as soon as you move away from that especially for the high performers mm-hmm. Well, let me put it the ones who did really well at tests mm-hmm. They would think the only way I did well at a test is because I had lots of homework I wrote lots of tests and that's how I got my distinctions Well, maybe it had something to do with your intellect as well All mm-hmm. right, and not the fact that you were writing all of these tests mm-hmm. so you have to get parents past that fact A lot of the time, parents will say to me, but if they don't have homework, then what happens to the rigor of education? Mm -hmm. And I keep saying to him that the rigor takes place in school just because there's no homework. So here's my example. You give a child a – they finish a full day of work, and then you give them worksheets, a math worksheet. And I'll take a very, very simple example. I get the worksheet. I go home. One plus one equals two. Now, if I can do 1 plus 1 equals 2, I promise you I can do 2 plus 1 equals 3 and 4 plus 1 equals 5. I got the concept. I understand 1 plus 1 equals 2. So what am I giving the child? I'm giving them busy work. Now, we think, no, we're giving them practice. No, you're not giving them practice. If I can do 1 plus 1 equals 2, I don't have to practice it 20 times. It's in my head I understand how to do that. Let's take the other child. I go home and I do 1 plus 1 and I can't figure out how it equals 2. What chance is there, there, there going to be that I can do 4 plus 1 equals 5? None. But I've got all these 20 sums that I've got to ho- go home and do. I get frustrated. I get angry. I get upset. My parents get frustrated. They get angry. They can't understand why the school isn't teaching you this. And, and the higher you go up, the more difficult it becomes. So now we're dealing with concepts that a parent can't deal with. So there becomes arguments in the home life mm. our feeling is that if you actually take away all of that busy work at home and spend more time within the classroom doing the cognitively demanding stuff mm. and and not sending that stuff home the child will do far better we've got to start looking at using our resources within the classroom the students who get it very quickly often Will be able to help students that don't get it that quickly. So, you're
1: doing co teaching and co learning, is that right? Absolutely.
0: That's very progressive, isn't it? Absolutely. And how's that um, working out? All of these things are going to take time. Mm. I mean, you know, I say the parents get upset about this. The first people that get upset about it are the students. Mm-hmm. So, for the students out there, it's also, they don't understand this. So project work is is the best one. We're going to put you in a team now and you're going to do a project. No, I don't want to do that. Why don't you want to do that, Johnny? Because I do all the work and nobody else does any work. So you've got the child upset that he's got to do all the work. You've got the parent upset because why is everyone getting an A when only Johnny deserves it? And I often say to the parents, don't worry what the other children are doing. Just worry about your child. Mm -hmm. Why does Johnny's parents worry? Because who's going to get the prize at the end of the year? You're okay, right. Whereas you're looking at the broader learning. We're John saying is Johnny is going to learn to become a leader of that team in that particular area because mm. in that area Johnny knows a little bit more or it's an area that Johnny does well at. And to teach is to learn twice. Absolutely. Yeah. If we take away the competitiveness of who's going to be the ducks at the end of the year because it's so important to mm. me that my child is the ducks, And we stop worrying about whether all the other children get A's as well. Let's take a workplace. If you, me, a couple of us are in a team – we don't get judged by the boss who got the A in the team. I just remember that ducks statement. You
1: know, I did 11 years of Latin, so I do know that ducks means leader. I'd almost forgotten that, but anyway.
0: Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. So there's a perfect example. Yeah. The duck should be the leader, not the one who comes first. That's so the only use of 11 years of Latin. <laughs> Latin so yeah. so, so, you, so yeah. you can see there are a whole lot of things that are going through our minds. And I, and I hope the audience out there understands that what we're doing at Red Hill is these are not simple things. As teachers and as educators, we're not just taking a curriculum and saying just give it to the students. We're talking about the issues. Will we get some of them wrong? Of course we're going to get some of these things wrong. Moving then into the middle school concept, and here we're even looking at our middle school by moving our grade Mm -hmm. sevens, into a middle school scenario because we realize that grade sevens today, unlike 20 years ago, don't fit into a prep school anymore. But that's another discussion for another time. But we're now looking at project-based learning. Can I I just for a moment, just quickly go back to Scandinavian
1: countries Mm. because you talked about these innovations in Scandinavia Mm. and then you're talking about how you're doing in Red Hill Mm. and the anxiety people might have about them. But you've got reference points, you've got cases and examples of why this works Absolutely. so parents actually would be well advised to to listen and, and learn about these methods and oh, look, not I, think that South Africa is different why, why would it be
0: absolutely look I, I can give you examples of other countries like Korea where students mm. are you know at school all day and all night mm. and they also get top results mm. but they get top results at writing exams Mm. What we learn from the Scandinavian countries and the Nordic countries is... Which have the highest um, happiness, uh, life
1: satisfaction, quality of life results in the world in the surveys, yeah. Absolutely, is that it's
0: not only about the achievement of results. Mm. They as countries have looked past that. Mm. They have realized that we have moved out of a labor economy into a knowledge economy that in order for countries like uh, Sweden, uh, you know, know, Finland, to succeed moving forward, they need to have a workforce that comes out of uh, their countries who can invent new things. So it's not about just being able to to, to receive things. It's not about just being economies that are just going to buy up whatever is out there. It's about producing things. So they're looking at how do we... How do we produce new ideas? How do we produce things? So you mentioned knowledge, and
1: and knowledge used to equal power, right? Yes. And you could argue that that it it, it doesn't now. It's less carefully guarded in in the Google world. Sure. What, in your opinion,
0: now equals power? So when we talk about knowledge, it doesn't mean that there isn't a place for knowledge. But if we just look at content knowledge, so content knowledge – was very important if we go way back because it was the people, that, we can go all the way back to the time of where power was, was in the hands of the church. Why were the people in the church powerful? Because all the knowledge was in the hands of the church. It actually made sense. It was with the printing press that we started to have knowledge being shared more because mm-hmm. more people could have access to that knowledge. And the more that knowledge is accessible, the more people are, are able to be empowered. But as you said today with Google and with the internet we have already empowered people with just content knowledge. So
1: everybody's got knowledge now and you can go and find it. So the dinner parties now you can't have those arguments anymore. Somebody's always going to say I'll google it. Absolutely. What a sport. Okay. Absolutely. So the power a-
0: today is what do I do with that knowledge? Mm it doesn't help to just have the knowledge it's what do i do with that knowledge and how do do i have the power to be able to change the way things are if all the companies stay exactly the same is that going to progress me and my company or am i going to have to rethink what we're doing and come up with a better idea and a more innovative idea and for that you need people who can think outside of the box okay so it's less about having content and having knowledge More about interpreting it,
1: using it, and being able to create new forms of activity, creative forms of activity. So within
0: our project-based learning Mm -hmm. innovation hub at the school, we have mentors. So teachers take on the role as mentors. You put a group together. It's very, very important today to get kids to choose their own research projects. Or to find a real world problem that they're interested in. So, gone are the days, and I I gave the example the other day, you know, where you get a project on how was papyrus made in in, in ancient Egypt, which we all did in grade seven. And I asked the audience, and how has that helped you today? 90% of us hated the project because we weren't really interested in how papyrus was made in ancient Egypt. You have to get the kids to be able to find issues and problems in the world that engage them and allow them to feel for what they're doing. We have to, and that's what we started off this discussion, by saying how do we get children in the high school to love education again? Well, you can't if you're telling them to study something that they're not interested in. What are they loving? What lights up kids at
1: that age now? What are the issues that get them fired up that become great vehicles for learning?
0: It depends on the the student, Mm. and that's why we don't give kids particular topics. Mm. We would say to kids, you go out there and you find something that is happening. So one of the projects that kids were given was find an invention that you feel you could actually change and make it into something that's better. So I just happened to be in there the one day, and they were looking at um, a vending machine. And the task was to try and figure out, we've got this vending machine. At one stage, it was an innovation Does it work today, and how would you be able to make that into a better vending machine? Hmm. So you've got kids that are interested in that. They came up with that themselves. They're interested in it. It's a real issue for them, and they start to now work on how can we do that. Now, you add in all of the other issues that are there. You add in issues like, well, how would you be able to market it? How would you be able to sell it? Who's going to sell it? Who's going to do the marketing? And then ultimately at the end of that, they have to be able to either talk about that project in front of an audience or they've got to write about that in terms of there being a larger audience to be able to read what they've come up with. Okay, so it sounds like you, you're just in this fantastic zone where you're
1: doing beautiful education that, that kids get fired up about, where the, the parents are
0: challenged by it as well. We, we believe that and, and we've made a distinction we, we've told our parents and our kids grade 11 and 12 we're teaching you for this test don't worry right? you're going to get all the, the knowledge IB now, the international so now we're looking we're looking at introducing the international baccalaureate yeah. um, because we do believe that it allows parents and students a choice mm. we're not saying which is better or which is worse we're saying here is a choice would you like the apple or would you like the orange one is not better than the other it's what you what, what you're comfortable with But what we're looking to be able to do there is get our, uh, as I said, grade 11 and 12, we'll teach you for the test, whether it's the IB or the Mm. IEB. And you'll get good results and you'll Mm. get into whatever universities that you would like to get into. When you're in those universities, have we up until grade 10 given you the skills the dispositions. Are you an inquirer? Do mm. you love learning? Are you going to be able to go out there and make a difference to this world that we live in? Or are you just going to go out there and get a normal job? And, you, and, and there's a place for that. But at Red Hill, we really do look at leaders in our time. Mm. We're looking at creating the people that will go out there and make a difference in a world that I think needs innovation, needs leadership, needs agile leadership needs people who can change very quickly as this world changes so quickly they can't be set in a particular mindset. They need to be able to make those changes.
1: Well that's an extraordinary story about education, renovation and progression that you're doing here in South Africa. And I have to say, it's it's very welcome to see that, because what you're doing prepares the people we receive at the business school into being better thinkers. We're also working on innovation. We have a center of innovation, creativity, and entrepreneurship. But it's really hard to find people who are primed and prepared for this. So if you can create an education system that does that, well, I think everyone's going to be grateful to you. And I hope that this is going to come viral.
0: Are you going to influence other schools? Well, that is the point. We have said 100%. We don't see this as being our own knowledge. Mm -hmm. We would like anybody, and and I don't think it's only Red Hill that's doing it. I think we've just done it really quickly, and we've moved into that space. I think there are other schools that must be doing this kind of work. We'd like to work with them. We open up our school to anyone. In fact, uh, in September, we have a conference, which we're kind Mm -hmm. of looking at, a, a conference in innovation, where we're asking business leaders, to come in and work with our teachers and our students. We'll come and help. We'll be delighted to. That'll be great. And we're going to hack education. Great. Um, And at the end of the day, we're really keen on hearing from universities and from the business world. When they get a Red Heel student, we would love to get the feedback because at the end of the day, that will really tell us whether, can I get good results? Can I get lots of distinctions? I can get all of those things. Can I produce a student that is going to make a difference to your business? to your university, to your business school, well, only you guys will be able to tell me that. And that's how I'll measure the success of Red Hill.
1: So there's a provocation and a challenge to all those corporates out there and to the other business schools and to all of us as parents as well. Joseph Jurassi, Executive Head of Red Hill School, thank you for being part of this conversation and thank you sincerely for all that you're doing to, to make a change in society through what you're
0: doing through education. Thank you to you guys and to any Business School for inviting me. I, it's oh, not often we get get invited as headmasters to have these discussions. And it's First a really minute, I hope.
1: We're going to have a lot more high-value conversations like this one. Thank you, Joseph. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Facebook is Henley Africa. Twitter is Henley Africa and Africa Dean. And on hashtag What's Trending and what we at Henley Business School, along with our thought leaders and guests, think about these issues. I'm John Foster Pedley, Dean of Henley Business School, and I look forward to engaging with you again.
0: For more Henley Business Radio podcasts, go to our website
1: www.henleysa.ac.za